Is there anybody in your life that intimidates you? And I'm talking about the kind of person who's just good at everything. The kind of person who looks good, whose family is perfect, who pins things, who uh, exercises all the time and eats perfectly. And when you're around them, you just feel small and insignificant and goofy and I don't know, right? You just feel weird around them because they're so amazing. Do you have people in your life like that? I do. I have lots of people in my life. Like maybe it says something about me. I just feel goofy around everybody, I guess. But I have these people in my life like that. Um, One of them is my business partner, Andy. Here's Andy. I mean, the guy is a chiseled uh, model of manliness. How about that? He's amazing. He's done CrossFit for the last seven years. And uh, if he didn't have that big sweater on, you would be like, whoa, shame on me. I mean, he's got no fat on him at all. He's just he's just perfect. And he just sits there like that. He's like that all the time, just smiling, that big smile. And he's not just like chiseled manliness. He's also perfect in every other way, too. He uh, he grew up on a golf course. He was raised on a golf course. Basically, his dad was a professional uh, golfer here at Gates. Um, anyway, but that gave him all kinds of amazing life lessons. He knows the value of hard work. He's such a hard worker. He knows the value of other people. He, he can relate to other people. If you're with him in a social situation, he's that guy that at the party is like that smile and everyone wants to be around him. And he walks up to you. If you met him today, you would think you were his best friend within two minutes or so. I mean, he would know all kinds of good things about your life. He's just amazing that way. It's, it's intimidating. Check out his kids. This, I'm not lying to you. This is not a, like I Googled model kids or something like that. No, that's his actual children. Uh, one day my wife went to his house to bring something and his son was homesick. Homesick! Think of your kids when they're homesick for the day, right? He shows up to the door like that, like in a vest and a tam and suspenders and trousers. Welcome, Mrs. Vanderweel. How may I assist you today? It's amazing. It's amazing. See how hard my job is? I have to live with that all day. I just feel like this all day. I'm sorry. Then I go home and a few doors down from me is this guy, Sean Chestnut. Sean the man chestnut. Do you guys know Sean? If you're here much, he plays guitar up there sometimes. He's the guy with the huge hair that always the lights make it look like it's purple some days and green some days. Plays the guitar. He is man with a capital M, man. He lives on the river, but like he, it's like the guy who came down from the mountains and now just lives kind of in town. Here's another picture of him. Yes, I live by, I live by Moses. That's who I live right next to. The other day he said to me, uh, Kurt, I just joined the Facebook group called Cedar or Northern Iowa Man Stuff for Sale. I'm like, yes, you did. <laughs> yes, you did. Capital M, Man Stuff. If you want, like, if, you're, if your boat motor's broken, he'll fix it. And then he'll say, well, I didn't do nothing. I just better fiddle around with this everything, right? If, you're, if, you're, if you need all the walls moved in your house, you're like, we'll knock that over the weekend. We'll knock that out right now. And just... I used to go into his house. I had no idea where the kitchen was anymore. He just moved stuff. If you need to move, speaking of moving, the piano would be on his back already. And he's just like down the... Okay, so you get the picture. I live around people who intimidate me. Uh, this, by the way, where we're going after all that laughter is that is not right thinking. That is not right thinking. 
Because when I get around people like that, like I said, I just, I just shy away. I just get small. When I'm around Sean, I feel like a 13-year-old boy, like trying to hang out with the men. You know, like, hey, I can ride a boat too, right? It's not right thinking. It takes us away from what we're supposed to be thinking. It takes us away from what we're supposed to be doing. It makes us quit and give up. At least it makes me do that. And this guy that we're going to be talking about in the Bible today, you know, we're in these, uh, the, these epic stories from the Bible, of these, of these amazing people from the Bible. And I, I don't know what I was thinking, but I picked Paul. Speaking of people who are going to intimidate you, Paul has always intimidated me. Paul is just... He's just the man. He's the Sean Chestnut of the Bible, right? He's, he is just the man of the Bible. He intimidates me. But I have got to keep, I have got to keep focusing. And we're going to get to some great words of Paul here in a little bit. Let's first look, especially for the, we have so many kids in the room this summer. This is amazing. So these epic blockbusters. Let, we're going to look at a few things from Paul to show you why he's such an intimidating guy. He intimidates me for four reasons. One is he's smart. One is uh, that he, uh, uh, he, he, my notes are all out of order. He's, he's super manly. No, my notes aren't out of order. This is out of order. <laughs> he doesn't shy away from conflict. Uh, and he really knows scripture. And that thing, that intimidates me a lot. Check this out. Here's how manly this guy is. Kids, listen to this. Acts 28. Paul was in a ship. This is a little backstory before these verses. He's in a ship, and the ship wrecks. It, it runs aground and, and crashes. And then they swim from the ship to this island. P.S. If you're ever with Paul, and he wants you to get on a boat, don't do it. Paul and boats don't get along. So anyway, he gets to this island, and he's gathering a firewood, and he puts the firewood in the fire. And this snake, a poisonous snake, comes out and grabs onto his arm. It doesn't say in the scripture, bit him. It says, latched onto him, like it's hanging there snake and everyone thinks paul's gonna die paul's gonna die what does paul do snake just throws it in the fire who's that manly not me i had this snake on my boat the other day and i and i didn't run ah, like that i didn't do that but i was close i was much closer to running than i was to like hey grab a hold and i'll throw you in the fire i wasn't like that it scared me uh so anyway Paul's manly. Here, here's another verse of Paul. The, the most astounding, like, physical power verse in the Bible that I've ever run across. Paul's in this town, and he's preaching, and, and he's preaching this Christian message, and so the Jews get mad at him, and so they stone him. They kill him. This is exactly what they did. Remember earlier in the Bible, Paul, when Paul is still a Jewish leader, he goes around and says, I, we have to, got to get rid of this Christian scourge, this Christian cancer, and we need to kill the people who are, who are preaching it. Now he's on the other side. He's preaching Christianity. And people come to this town and say, we have got to get rid of him. We have got to kill him. And, and, and listen, this is true. People pick up stones, big, not like pebbles, Stones and they throw them at him to kill him. This is a method of killing. This is not like recreation. This is a method of killing. They throw stones at him. He dies, apparently. They drag him outside of town and the scripture says, and, and they thought he was dead. Of course they thought he was dead. That's the whole point. You throw stones at someone until they die. Then they drag him outside of town to the trash heap. Then it says the disciples gathered around him and he stands up and walks into town. What? He what? He did what? He stands up and walks into town. 
I'm not on that planet. I am not on that level in any way, shape, or form. You throw, like, anything at me and I'll... I'm sorry, right? The the last thing I'm ever going to do is go straight back into the situation that got me there in the first place. I mean, that is double tough. That is amazing. So, Paul is amazingly uh, uh, strong. But that's not all about Paul. So, he's amazingly smart. This is something that, you know... uh, in my, someone once asked me, in your family growing up, what was the currency? What was the thing that was valued? Super interesting question, isn't it? And in my house, the thing that was valued was smart, being smart. This guy, Paul, is so smart. Sometimes when you're reading Paul, you're like looking at the page and you're just like, what? And you don't turn the page for like an hour because you have, I can't figure out what he's saying. Here's a, here's an example verse. And I just, you know, it's from Romans. You could almost just open up Romans, right? And like, huh? Here's a verse from Romans. To be sure, like, obviously, to be sure, sin was in the world before the law was given, but sin was not charged against anyone's account where there was no law. Nevertheless, death reigned from the time of Adam to the time of Moses, even over those who did not sin by breaking a command, as did Adam, who was the pattern of the one to come. Right. To be sure. (laughs) To be sure. What? You know, sometimes you just got to read those verses like over and over and over. Like, what in the world is he saying? He's so smart. And this is why I love Peter. Here's Peter coming in behind in 2 Peter 3.16. He, talking about Paul, he writes the same way in all of his letters, speaking in them of these matters. His letters contains things that are hard to understand. One of my favorite verses. His letters contain the, yes, thanks, Peter, the apostle. The guy who spent three years sitting with Jesus, learning directly from him. The guy that was called the rock. Thank you for saying Paul is hard to understand. That makes me feel just a little bit better. So, he, he is amazingly smart. Now, another one about Paul. He doesn't shy away from conflict. Kids, are, are you guys ones that like run away from conflict? I am a one who runs away from conflict. If you want to start an argument with me, it's not going to last very long. I'll be like, okay. Okay, I'm sorry. I, I'm not a conflict guy. Uh, but Paul just kind of steps into it. And that's something that I uh, can admire about Paul. Um, although there's no way I'm going <laughs> to go that far. Anyway, check this out. Uh, uh, some of you, this is in Corinthians, some of you have become arrogant as if I were not coming to you. Isn't that a great verse? It's like the dad or the grandpa downstairs. Kids upstairs, don't you think I won't go up those stairs? He won't, but anyway. You're arrogant as if I'm not coming for you. (laughs) But I am coming for you. And then it gets even worse. Uh, He says, but I will come to you very soon if the Lord is willing. And then, this is awesome. And then I will find out how those arrogant people are talking, but also what power they have. Don't think that wasn't a threat. That was a threat. Who do you think is stronger? I'll tell you who's stronger when I get there, right? That's what that verse says. I'm going to find out not only what they're saying, but also what power they have. (laughs) Wow. Okay. Now, speaking back of Peter, Paul says this about Peter. When Peter came to Antioch, Peter, the apostle, again, right? The rock, the one that this is all founded on. Peter, the apostle. When he came, I opposed him to his face. Paul didn't worry about those kind of ranks and those kind of titles. He said, I don't set aside the grace of God as if Peter did. I don't set aside the grace of God for if righteousness could be gained through the law, then Christ died for nothing. That's what he said to Peter's face. That's amazing. And then finally, 
This is actually probably the thing that intimidates me the most about Paul. He knows scripture so well. It's part of what makes him sort of confusing to read because scripture is just falling out of his mouth as he's talking. We, uh, we later in the year might be talking about Galatians, um, uh, this chapter in Galatians or maybe another one we haven't really landed, but this particular set of verses in Galatians from, uh, uh like eight to 15. Paul just drops scripture, just boom, boom, boom. In this little thing, he quotes he quotes all these scriptures in five verses. He's quoting like eight eight sets of scripture from the Old Testament. It just like falls out of his mouth. Man, I would like to be a kind of person who thinks like that, who just as I'm trying to talk to you, just scripture is just falling out of my mouth. That that is something that I can I am really impressed by. So, all right. Why are we saying this? Why am I setting all this up? Because I want to remind you once again, this is the series that we're in. The series that we're in is Blockbusters. You know, it's kind of a fancy title, but what we're trying to say is there is this epic, long thread of Scripture where God is telling a story through us. And there's all these characters that are in this story. And these characters um, play God's parts. And lots of times... We look at these characters and we don't feel like we're supposed to be part of that thread. We don't feel like this is supposed to be about us. And what we're trying to say in this series, this blockbuster series, is not that these people are out of your league, but that these people are people. We have been telling you stories about smart people and dumb people and rich people and poor people, about religious people and thieves and crooks and prostitutes. We've been telling you stories about every kind of person. And we're saying, this is what God's story is made up of. You are what God's story is made up of. You have a part to play. You have a role to play. And I'm going to get here, but I'm going to, we're going to be asking the question, are you playing the role? Or is something disqualifying you? Is something taking you away from it? Oftentimes, when we ask this question, people... people in their minds or even in verbally will respond that they're not playing the role because they feel disqualified. Or people don't think of it as a story at all. They just feel like it's, they're, they're living their own life. My life is just my life. What do you mean God's story? I'm not a part of any story. I'm just living. Or they don't think God has a story. God's just letting the world go day at a time, whatever it is. Or they think these characters are superheroes and unusual or maybe even fictitious. These are people. These are you and me. And I want to tell you, for me, one of the things that takes me out of the story, one of the things that makes me not live my role, is when I start getting these messed up thoughts in my head. These messed up thoughts in my head, one of which is that I'm not good enough, that I'm not as chiseled as Andy, that I'm not as manly as Sean, that I'm not as smart as Paul. And so then I just give up. I just lay back. I just say, whatever, those guys will take care of it. <laughs> that is so messed up. That is not right. And I want you to be thinking about that too. What's taking you out? Who's taking you out? Who's making you think that you can sit on the sideline? This was never about sitting on the sideline. So check this out. Paul, this same guy who's rough, who's uh, manly, who, who is so smart. He's also got this tender side to him. As you read through Paul, especially if you read uh, his letters to individual people, his letters to Timothy, his letters to Titus, as you read what he's saying, he gets so tender sometimes. 
And he's so, uh, he's so aware of how we think, how our minds work. And so we get to this verses in Philippians, Philippians 4 through 8, or 4, 8. This is my wife and I, it started as my wife's favorite verse and has become kind of our verse together. She, she found it, I, I'm going to say 15 years ago. And it, I don't say this lightly because I am super terrible at memorizing scripture, but I think you should memorize this scripture. If I was going to pick one scripture for you to memorize, this might be it. And I, I, again, I'm terrible. Like if I just was going to try to read this from memory, or read this from memory, that's awesome. If I was just going to try to say this from memory, I'd have to think it through so much. I'll give you a, I'll give you a little bit of help. When, uh, when I taught this once, uh, in Life 2.0, which was something that happened 10 or 15 years ago, a guy came up to me later and he said, he said, I'm, I remember it by the first letters. T-N-R-L, T, Tenerpla. It's Tenerpla. Tenerpla. T-N-R-P-L-A. Tenerpla. It's a made up word, it's a stupid word, but for some reason I can remember that word. Tenerpla. Tenerpla. I should have made a slide. Tenerpla. T-N-R-P-L-A. Here's the point of this verse. Paul says, Paul says this, when your mind gets all screwed up, when you start thinking about the wrong things, tenerpla, whatever is true, whatever is noble, whatever is right, whatever is pure, whatever is lovely, whatever is admirable, if anything is praiseworthy or excellent, think about those things. Think about those things. Now, let me make this actionable. This is the, I am usually not the teacher who turns things into action. <laughs> I, should, I feel bad about that. I feel small and weak. Anyway, <laughs> but let me make this actionable for you. Because this, this actually happens in, in uh, my wife and I's life. This verse is actionable for us. Because we, probably unlike you, our minds get all twisted up around the wrong things. And this verse continually brings us back. I'm going to focus on one word and show you how we use this one word, true. Whatever is true, whatever is true, think about these things. So, you're worried about something. At least in the last week, you have worried about something. I don't know what it is, but you've worried about like what's going to happen to your kids when they grow up or what's going to happen to your kids who are now at college or what's going to happen to your investment or what's going to happen to this or what's going to happen to that or what's you're somewhere in your mind. You're living in the future worrying about something. Ask the question, is it true? Is it true? Am I thinking about something that is true? And I'm going to answer it for you. No. Something in the future is not true. It hasn't happened. It hasn't materialized. It hasn't become. It is not true. And you are living there. And your mind is dwelling there. And you are rolling that around over and over and over. It isn't true. It hasn't happened. My wife and I both laugh all the time. We have lived so many crises that never happened. (laughs) They never materialized. They never became. And over and over, we keep learning this lesson. Whatever is true, think about those things. That worry isn't true. If it becomes true, deal with it then. That day will have enough trouble for itself. It isn't true. In another scenario, someone says something mean about you. Or you think someone's saying something mean about you. Or you've heard a story that someone said that someone said that someone said something mean about you. 
It, this happens all the time. Is it true? Is it true? Well, if you said the thing, then go apologize. Get it over with. But lots of times it isn't true. But you dwell and you dwell and you dwell on what's happening out there. Who's saying what? Who's thinking what? Who knows what? You know none of that. What you know is what's true. What you did. Who you are. Think about those things. Think about what's true. Here's another scenario. This, this one word. This one word happens all the time. Here's another scenario. You are obsessing about something. Something, again, something in the last week you have wanted to buy. You have, you have thought your life would be better if you had. You have thought about some vacation or trip that you just really wish you'd. You have thought about if you just had a different life situation, if your kids were different ages, if they, whatever. You have, you have some fantasy scenario that you think would make your life better. Is it true? No, it's not true. None of it's true. It's a fantasy that you have made up. I have, I know I'm saying this so strongly because, oh my heavens. Here's a, here's a super embarrassing story about myself. One time I was offered a job in Boise, Idaho. And I, right away I said to the guy, nope, I'm not interested in going to Boise, Idaho, da da da. And he just would not stop. Finally I said to him, okay, look, I'll take a free trip to Boise, Idaho. What if I have to lose? I am not taking your job. He flies me out to Boise, Idaho. Have you ever been to Boise? Oh my heavens. Seriously, it's this like plateaued high desert where the weather is perfect all the time. Do you know that in Boise, every single person all day, every day rides their bikes in the mountains? I did not know that till I got there. The only thing that takes them off riding their bikes in the mountains is when they stop to ski, water ski or snow ski. It doesn't matter because they have both or hike. Sometimes they stop riding their bikes so they can hike in the mountains. Or when they eat, they all eat outdoors every time. Every meal is cooked for them, and they eat it outdoors in these wonderful uh, 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 patios outside of the restaurants. That's Boise every day, all day. Except it isn't true. But when I got home, this is what I thought. My mind was just obsessing about Boise. When I live in Boise, this is all we're going to do. Me and my three little boys, little at the time, me and my three little boys are somehow going to hop on mountain bikes and just ride in the mountains all day long. The Von Trops on mountain bikes. It's going to be amazing. And then we're going to take a break and we're going to eat huge hamburgers that have been cooked for us and cleaned up for us. And it's going to be awesome. And while I was obsessing about this, I start losing track of Cedar Falls. I start losing track of what, what I like. And I start getting really grumpy about everything. Everything. And my wife finally lovingly and gently says, Kurt, it's not true. That's not true. Guess what? In Boise, people have actual jobs. <laughs> what? You know. Guess what? They actually go to meetings. They actually have emails. They actually have conflicts. They actually have people who are not happy with them. Guess what? In Boise, people don't actually ride their bikes in the mountains all day long because they have kids that they're raising and the kids go to school and the kids need school lunches and the kids need to be put to bed. What? Finally, slowly, it dawns on me, she's right. It was a fantasy I was living in. I was not living in true Whatever is true, think about these things. So, 
Look, think about these. I'm not going to be able to take you through all these other words. But what is noble? What's the higher ground thing to do? What's the, what's the better thing that you could say? What is pure? Is that obsession that you have pure? Is it pure? Uh, uh, what's lovely? What's admirable? Sometimes I lose track of this too. Like I just stop seeing how lovely, how admirable things are around me. We went to Tennessee. Um, we drove and we drove and we drove and we drove and we drove back home. And, 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 and I re- realized there's lovely, there's admirable, there's excellent right here. Why did I drive so far to go see a tree when I have a tree at George Wythe? It was amazing. I was just like, whoa. Whatever is lovely, whatever is excellent, whatever is praiseworthy. Do you think about things that are praiseworthy? Is that what you think about? Or do you think about grumpy things? Whatever is praiseworthy, think about these things. So, here's my conclusion. People around you are good at things. Awesome. Count yourself lucky. Wouldn't it be terrible if you were just surrounded by a bunch of dopes? People around you are great at things. People around you uh, seem and look better than you at things. Awesome. Awesome. Don't let that take you off track. Here's the funny thing too. My partner Andy, my friend Sean, they look at me and they like do the same thing. We're all in a big circle. We're all like, you're better than me. You're better than me. You're better than me. Live your life. Do your thing. Think about these things. What's true? What's noble? What's lovely? What's admirable? What's praiseworthy? What's excellent? What's pure? Yes, I didn't get them in the right order. Tenerpla, tenerpla, tenerpla. Think about those things. Live with those things. And don't let this, don't let this get you off track. Play your role. Do what you're supposed to do. I'm out of time, but here, I'm going to just tell you this. 10.05. I'm out of time. I get this way, I get this way about teaching. I, I see, I see John Orberg teach. I see Andy Stanley teach. I see Alice Shirey teach. And I'm like, I'm done. Do, do what you're supposed to do. Do the role that you've been asked to do. And do it as good as you can. And stop thinking about those people. All right? I gotta pray. Heavenly Father. <laughs> we are so silly. I just, I just often think about you looking at us like, wow, what have I done? But thanks for your patience. Thanks for your grace. Thanks for your word. I pray that this word today can get deep into our heads and deep into our hearts. That we can start becoming people who live our lives thinking about what's true, what's noble, what's right, what's pure, what's lovely, what's admirable, what's excellent, what's praiseworthy. That we can think about those things and have those thoughts push out of our heads all those other things, the things that are lies, the things that aren't true, the things that are fantasy. And that by thinking of those things that we are supposed to think of, obviously that will bring us to you. You are the top of all those words. I ask that now we can join together in song, that we can praise you, that we can, as we sing, that we can be thinking 
lovely and admirable thoughts.